and it's kind of basic too like Ramey asked me tonight she was like what are you preaching on and I said I'm preaching on being born again and being filled with the Holy Ghost and she was like because I mean what else can you say when somebody says that but sometimes when God starts to speak to me and give me things I'll even tell God I'll be like Lord this is kind of like basic like you know nothing in his word that there is in it is not good or is not anointed or you know is not from him but I'm like do you really want me to preach this God like I feel like people already know this but at the same time there's things that I'm going to get into that we know and that we've read and that you could ask any of us you know quote this scripture even some of the scripture I'm going to get into is very basic and we would be able to if somebody started it we could finish it off the bat but it's one of those things that I feel like it's the things like that in the word and it's the things like that in our walk that we don't walk in that well because we know it's so good that it's like we kind of put it to the side a lot of times so when God started showing me this it, he started talking to me about people who and even in my own life where we're spirit filled but we're not necessarily spirit led we're filled with the spirit of God but we go in and out of it we don't walk in it all the time we don't let it lead us but it's in us which sounds really weird and like it works against itself because naturally you would say well if a person is filled with something then that person will be led by that but that's not always the case so like I said the Lord's kind of been showing me this in myself and in other people and that that's what's holding us back from so much and that's what is allowing the enemy and his tricks and his schemes to continuously work and keep us in a cycle is what keeps us from the victory that we want to get to because naturally, as heirs of Christ, we should be able to have the victory in our lives in every situation. We should be able to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But it's one of those things that kind of cycles in us a lot. And I also feel like, you know, being filled with the Spirit but not allowing it to lead in your life is so counterproductive. It doesn't make any logical sense. It's one of those things It's like you have the most powerful force ever created the most powerful force on the face of the earth living inside you and we keep it behind bars or we keep it behind I'll let you move this much God but that's way too much that type of thing so I was looking at the story in John chapter 3 and um, I typically don't give the booth my scriptures just because I can read them off of my own page but I'm in John chapter 3 this is the um, story about Nicodemus. So John 3 verses 1 through 8. It says there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit, Jesus replied. You are a Jew, or a Jew, and yet you don't understand these things. 
So again, we all know the story. We know that he asked Jesus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied to him, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and spirit. That we produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. And I feel like with this story that we get just as confused sometimes about being born again and what that really means. Just as Nicodemus was when he asked Jesus what almost seems like a silly question. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? But I feel like us as Christians a lot of times, or us as people who stay in the church and go to church all the time, we are just as confused about that as Nicodemus was in that moment, because do we really understand what being born again is? Now, Kelly has a fantastic, um, I don't know what you call it, I guess analogy, I don't know, about being born again that she gives. And it kind of kindergartens it down and makes it easy for you to understand when she tells people, and I know that the Lord gave her that because that makes it so easy for people to understand. But I think it's also one of those things that's been said and been preached so much, like I was saying at the beginning of this, that we do not take that for what it is. If you think about the two words born again just in themselves, naturally it makes sense to think, okay, so a second birth or a new birth, a new life. But what we don't seem to grasp is that a brand new person is supposed to come from that birth. That when we're born again, you completely change into a brand new person. That who we were initially when we were first born and who we were initially when we were first um, birth from our mother's wombs is the life that we lived then. But because we have been born again, that means we've literally been born into new life. And if we've been reborn into new life, then nothing of our old lives should show or be the same. There's um, an example that I kind of have to use because whenever I give a word, I never want people to feel like I'm like, like dogging on them or being like, you know, I don't think I'm better than anybody or I don't think that I've made it. Everything that God gives me is things like Tony was saying this morning that he deals with me on. And then when it's time for me to preach, I see God asking what he wants me to say. And if that same stuff is in there, I'm like, yes, God's dealing with me on that too. So I can humbly give it to you guys rather than it being you know an arrogance I never want to stand up here and be like oh well I've made it or I've advanced to the heights in this level and I'm just you know you guys need to get where I am on this because that is completely the opposite of how I feel about everything that I stand up here and say but and so I love to use myself as an example if I can you know not have something mastered and use myself as an example I'm going to do it and so I have, this is something just that I have found coming out of my own mouth that the Holy Spirit has convicted me about. Um, and it's so many times we say, and so many times I have said, oh, that's just how I am. Or, oh, I've been like that my whole life. Like somebody might say something and it's never, it's not going to be a good characteristic that's in me. It's going to be like a bad characteristic. And they may be like, well, that's not exactly right. And I'll be like, oh, well, I've always been like that. Or that's how I've been my entire life. Almost like, a, we'll get over it. That's just how I am. You know, that's just how I'm going to be. 
And when I thought about that, I think when we're born again of the spirit, when we're born again into new life, that's a phrase that shouldn't even come out of our mouths. Like that's a phrase that should then be non-existent because if that's who you've been your whole life and then you're born again, you shouldn't have nothing to do with that anymore. That shouldn't be something that we just kind of use as an excuse and say, and it just pops up. Oh, I've always been like that, or I've been like that forever. You're supposed to be brand new and a brand new person, so it shouldn't be how you've been forever. It should not be an excuse that can therefore continue to be used. And it's one of those things that's like, you know, unless some people may say, well, I wasn't a horrible, wretched sinner prior to Christ. But unless you just had Jesus status qualities, which we didn't because we weren't born again, the only way that you become like him is through him, is through a new birth. So none of us just had great Jesus-like wonderful qualities prior because that's not even a possibility. We may have been okay people. We may have not, you know, seen a bunny hopping across the road and laid on the gas like we may not have just been evil in our minds like trying to do things like that but at the that doesn't mean that we were like Christ that we were Christ-like so that's the kind of stuff that I'm kind of talking about is you know naturally I was never much of a person that people would say I was an outward sinner like people would have been like man she was a pretty good girl even before but me and Greg were kind of having a conversation about this Friday night, too, after a prayer meeting that I wanted to bring into this as well. Because I naturally didn't have a taste for the things that most people before I was born again and that were my age had a taste for. I was never a drinker. I was never a drugger. I never was, like, promiscuous. Like, that kind of stuff just, for, it didn't interest me. It wasn't something that I really had a lot of interest in. I didn't try to fit in with people. I don't necessarily want to say I had a leader personality, but I definitely wasn't a follower. I was like, I don't really care who likes me. Like, the people who like me, great. If you don't, oh, well. Like, it's not going to make or break me. So, and I've always kind of been like that. But um, it's one of those things to where one day... I got a word from God and God spoke to me and he said, cause I even thought I was weird when I was younger. I was like, there's something weird about me. I was like, I'm a teenager, but I don't even have a taste for these things. Why? That's weird. Like all my friends want to do this. All my peers are doing this and I have no interest in it. There's something weird about that. And the Lord spoke to me about it once. And he was like, I always had a plan. I always knew I was going to use you. And so I didn't even allow you even then to dabble into those things. And who knows, because there's people everywhere that God uses and they did dabble into that and they use it as a testimony. But maybe I would have taken it too far. There's a lot of addiction that runs in my family. Maybe it would have been something that would have been harder for me to get a grasp over. So he was like, she can never touch those things at all. I don't know God's plan. All I know is that I'm grateful and I'm thankful, but you know, it's just one of those things that it reminds me of. So Friday night, um, me and Greg were talking and we were talking about one of his family members that needs to really be born again and get in here. And he kind of said the same thing. Me and him and Chip were talking about this person and he said, well, this person, you know, they don't do drugs. They don't drink. They don't go out and sleep around he was like this person's a good person they just have things that need to come out of their heart and things that are buried that needs to get out of their heart and I said you know I was the same way I said it wasn't the outward things it was the heart things I said it was the things that you know had got down in me against people 
which is a really big hiccup if you're going to be in ministry. It was the things that it got down in me that are deeper. It's the big stuff. People look at the big things like, oh, this person drinks, this person does this, you know, this person partied, this person was an addict. When so much, so much of the time that I've noticed, those things are easy to get rid of. Those things will come out quick and easy. And then it's the heart sins that take years and years and years to dig out. And that's what I was full of. And that's the stuff that will try to come back into my life if I don't keep myself in check is though, because those things get in you and they get down deep and they wrap around and that's the stuff that becomes hard and really tough to dig out. Um, another example of that I wanted to use because it's something that the Lord convicted me about just last week. I was at, I was at work and I was talking to some of the girls at work and they were talking to me about um, helping me with something or doing something to help me in a way and everybody that really knows me knows I don't like help. I don't do well with people trying to help me with stuff. Like I just, I wanna do things on my own. I don't even like group projects. I remember in school, if they would ever try to group us, sometimes they'd be like, hey guys, you guys wanna, you know, do an individual work today or you guys wanna work as a group? And I remember people would be like, oh, you wanna work as a group? And I'm like, no, I don't wanna work as a group. Like when you work as a group, there's too many people that can mess things up. Like I want to work individually and make my own grade and do my own work. I don't wanna work with all y'all because then you're gonna get in my stuff and mess it up. And so it's, but you know what? That's horrible for ministry. Like that's horrible for being a Christian. That's one of those things in myself that I have to like work on and change because it's something that you have to be able to work with other people, basically is what I'm saying. And I remember, you know, talking to the girls at work and one of them was like, okay, I'm going to leave early. Do you need me to do anything? Do you need help with anything? And I kind of snickered at her because she knows that when she asked me that, it's just going to be like, really, you know, I don't need help with anything. I'm not going to let you help me with something. Go ahead and leave. And But the Lord showed that to me, and he was like, that's pride that nobody can ever help you. It's pride that nobody can ever, you know, take a task from you, or nobody can ever do those type of things because you have to always have the upper hand or at least the equal hand and things like that. And all that I'm showing them in that moment is, no, I don't accept help. I won't allow you to ever help me with anything, and that's not right. That's not the heart of Christ. That's not, you know, godly, and that's a little stuff that I'm talking about, and it wasn't long ago. I think it was Friday night when Kelly was talking to everybody, and I was getting all this together, and she was like, we have to get down and get the little things in us corrected. We have to get the down and get the things that maybe other people don't see, but that you'll hear the Holy Spirit kind of be like, that's not right. You don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be walking in that. That's not right for other people to see that. That's not being an example. And it made me start thinking that after years of being filled with the Spirit of God, there's things in our lives that should be permanently broken off of our lives. Like, yes, we're going to go out into the world and things are going to get on us, but we aren't realizing what we have and how powerful it is living inside of us. The Bible says that it's the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And it's the same life-giving spirit. And God, what he does is he says, here, come and take it. As we know, the spirit of God is free for us to come and take. And it's literally something that makes life to where we can live it as Jesus Christ lived it. Meaning that we can walk like he walked. We can do the same things that he did. And so 
is something that anything I feel that's burdensome and anything that I feel that is in our lives after years and years of being filled with his spirit is things that we just hold on to. And we say, God, I don't want you to take this from me because for some reason we feel like we need to hold on to it. Something that also I noticed, you know, it's been kind of like we've been talking about this in services and stuff that different people and different ones have been intimidated and kind of bullied by the enemy lately. And one thing that I know about our church and about our leadership is that when people come in, we make sure that after that person's born again, of course we teach you need to be born again. That's the basic gospel. But after they're born again, the next thing that's going to come out of anybody's mouth is, hey, you need to be full of the Spirit. You need the Holy Ghost because that's going to be what's going to help you because we know that that's going to give that person power over the enemy. We know that that's going to give that person um, the strength to carry on. We know that that's going to be that person's ticket that when he comes that they're, we're going with him. And so the next thing that we're always going to say is, hey, you've been born again, now get the Holy Ghost. I mean, there's been times when I've seen people get born again and get the Holy Ghost within the same the same prayer, the same service. It doesn't have to be, you know, months and months later. For a lot of us, for hardheads, for me, it was almost a year later because I'm a hardhead and I have to think through everything and I have to logic through everything and I make things harder on myself than it has to be. But it doesn't have to be like that. Like I said, I've seen multiple people get it the exact same time. They're just flat out sinners. Come in, sinners, get born again, get filled with the Holy Ghost, start living a sanctified life. Same thing, you know, same time. And so, it's one of those things that I know that is taught here that it will once we're born again get filled with the Spirit. Um, Romans 8 and 17, it says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So an heir, as I'm sure we all know, but if you don't, an heir is a person that is inheriting and continuing the legacy of a predecessor. So synonyms to an heir would be a successor or a predecessor. And that's what we are to Christ. We're supposed to grab the baton and run the race just like he ran the race when he was here. So just like he ran the race, we have to, we're supposed to be acting just as he acted. We're supposed to be treating people just like he treated people. We're supposed to love people just like Jesus Christ loved people. We're supposed to give up our time. We're supposed to give up our want-tos just like he did because he was an example for us as he was here. And now we're heirs to him and heirs to his kingdom. And so our judgment of ourselves has to be by Christ because he was our example. And if you ever want to judge yourself in a foolproof manner, this is something that I can say that I do, is if, if we're all going to sit around and judge ourselves, I will judge myself by Christ. Because I say, I'm not going to say I'm doing well because somebody who's been doing this the same length of me, I'm doing better than them. Or I'm doing bad because I'm doing worse. We have to judge ourselves and compare ourselves to the Jesus of the Bible and see if we line up. Because Jesus is not comparing us to the person beside us. And Jesus is not comparing us to the person behind us or in front of us. He's comparing us to him. Because he said, here, I was the example are you doing it like I did it because if you're not you're falling short and so we can't line up nowadays and we definitely can't line up with churchy goodness because we all know that even the standard of the church is not at all what it's supposed to be and we can't think that God is pleased 
with that standard. In our hearts, we know that he's not. Um, Romans 8 and 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Ezekiel chapter 13 verses 26 through 27 says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I don't know why. I know I've read this before. But like I said, this is one of those things that I've read, and it didn't really click until I started getting this ready. And I love this scripture now that I really get it, because this is saying he's going to take out our stony and stubborn hearts and give us a tender and responsive heart. And it says that he's going to put his spirit in us so that we will follow his decrees, and we will be careful to obey his regulations. And there are some times that I feel like people... Almost are like, well, you know, it's too much. I can't do it. It's not, it's too hard. And if you follow in the spirit of God, if God puts his spirit in you, it's saying we will follow his decrees because his spirit follows his decrees. We will be careful to obey his commands because the spirit in us is careful to obey his commands, meaning that if something is not to obey his regulations, I'm sorry. If something is against his regulations, then there's something in us that should say, oh, that's against the regulations of God. I've got to be careful around that. That's something that God doesn't like and God doesn't accept. I can't walk into that. I'm careful around that. It should kind of bend you over and the spirit of God inside you should begin to convict you because that's what it's in there for. So we have to allow it to do its job. Galatians chapter 5 Verses 16 through 17 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is KJV, obviously, that I'm reading like this. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And so when I put all this together and I kind of start thinking about this in my own head, I ask my own self questions like when the Lord is giving me a message or when he's speaking to me or sometimes I just ask him the question and I'll be like, God, so, you know, and sometimes I already know the answer, but I just kind of say it anyway. I'm like, should we really stay in the spirit at all times? Like, does that, is, does that make sense as something that we can do? Or I'll be like, Lord, can we really stay in the spirit at all times? And what comes right back to me is if we're not in the spirit, then the only other place to be is in the flesh. And I know that my flesh has never produced anything good. I know that it's never produced anything holy. I know that it's never produced anything that God accepts or that he looks at and says that's good enough for me. And so therefore I know if I'm not in the spirit, that's the only place that I'm going to be is in my flesh. And my flesh is unacceptable to him. My flesh is what he kills and what he has given me his spirit to constantly beat, 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 beat down until it's so low that it no longer has any dominion over me anymore. And so yes is my answer. My answer is yes, we should stay in the spirit all the time. We have to learn to stay in the spirit more than we let our flesh take over and that we're in the flesh. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit 
I believe that we should comfortably be able to stay in the spirit most often. I believe that it shouldn't be an either or, that it should not, it should be what naturally controls us. It should be what naturally pushes us forward because now we've been born again into it and it lives inside us, so it's no reason that it should not. And another thing that kind of comes to my mind is why are we so if we're born of the Spirit and then we're filled with God's Spirit, why are we so often intimidated by the enemy and fleshly things? But it's because even if we are filled with the Spirit, if we choose to flee to feed our flesh more, our flesh will rise up over it. Our flesh is going to rise up if that's what we feed more. There's some kind of Indian proverb that's obviously a Native American Indian proverb, and so I don't follow it in my life, but... I've read it, and I think Kelly said it a couple of times, and it always sticks in my head. Something about whatever wolf you feed the most will be the one who wins the fight or something. I don't know. But it's actually true, so whatever. But if we're in the spirit, we know who we are in God. When you're in the spirit, it's like something crazy comes over you, and you feel like you're like, you know, like you, I don't even know what it is. It feels like everything on you on your body is wide open and you're just full of power like you know it's not you you know it's God doing it and so that's another reason why it's so important for us to stay in the spirit guys is because the enemy doesn't have a right to bully God's people but you allow him to bully you because you don't feel like you have any authority because we've been in the flesh too much if we stayed in the spirit more than we stayed in the flesh the enemy would have a whole lot harder time bullying us and intimidating us because we would know who we were in christ so much faster and easier that we would take him down immediately which was god's entire plan and god's entire purpose for giving us his spirit was to make this something that was easier for us to walk through and that we could do it through him Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and I just realized this the other day when I was studying too we all know that um Pentecost was in Acts chapter when the Holy Spirit was given out was in Acts chapter 2 in Acts chapter 1 if you read it you'll see that Jesus told the disciples do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Well, in Acts is when they finally started going out and they started their ministry and things like that. God knew that they would need that spirit before they went out into that evil world where everybody was going to come right back and press up against them. So he told them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you. And then in the next chapter... He sends them the gift, and immediately after that, they're sent out to go and start doing what they're going to start doing for God. And that's where the rest of the New Testament kind of takes off, and everything that we learn by their lives and the way that they did things is the books after that. But I thought it was so interesting that I never noticed that before. I was like, he's literally telling them, don't walk, don't even leave this area until I bring it to you because you're going to need it and the power that it gives you. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And I love this verse. Like this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I don't know, it's just a cool verse to me. Like it says that it's eager to control you but you're going to you must subdue it and be its master it's like i see a samurai or something like with a sword on top of the devil's neck i love that i love that it says you must subdue it and be its master and so we have to 
subdue our flesh and be its master. We have to tell our flesh through the spirit, I'm master over you, I'm your master. Because again, why get filled with the spirit of God to let the flesh continue to stay dominant in your life? Like what, that makes no sense whatsoever to allow that. There's things that I feel like that is in our hearts and that is in our lives that we beat down, but we don't kill them dead. We, don't, we beat them down, but we don't kill it dead. We may beat it down on a Sunday, and we may have the victory Monday morning, but by Monday afternoon, by Tuesday, those things kind of take hold again because they're, we're coming to the altar, we're crying, we're praying, and it, maybe it's a little bit emotional, I don't know, but I know that there's things in people's lives that are coming back up by Monday. They're coming back up by Tuesday. We'll come back in on Wednesday, but then these things are coming back up by Thursday, and then on Friday, they might get beat up down again, and they're coming back up on Saturday, and that's not the way that it's supposed to be because you're supposed to sever it at the root. You're supposed to take the root of the issues sever them, subdue them, become their master so that there are no longer issues in your lives. And just like Chip was saying this morning, I'm not preaching this out of condemnation because I know, and there's things in my own life and that have been in my own life, that it's taken more than one altar call for me to get out of my life. So please understand that that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying continual years and years and years over and over and over. Like the example I made earlier, that's just who I am. That's just how I've always been. Well, we've got to be different than that. You know, in the Old Testament, you'll read about God, and I love that God because that's kind of how I am. When I get frustrated with something, I'm just like, destroy it. Like, I definitely would have been like the God who just destroyed the whole world and started over a million times. But uh, so I kind of like that the way that he was then and the way that um, he handled things. I think it's funny, but... It talks about him destroying entire nations, and it talks about him killing off all the men. It talks about him killing off all the women, and then it talks about him killing off even all the cattle and all the goats and all the donkeys and all the other stuff he had. And then it talks about him killing off all the infants and all the babies. And I remember the first time I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, like that was harsh. Like you just killed off all the babies too? Like was that really necessary is what, of course, I was thinking in my head. But he was severing the root of the problem. He knew that those babies would have grown up to be just like their mamas and just like their daddies. And it would have never ended and it would have been a cycle over and over and over again. So he said, I'm severing the root. I'm killing all of it. I'm killing it dead so that it doesn't have an opportunity for that generation to even rise back up again. And so that's kind of what God has been showing me is that you can't, if you dip that many times, one of those times, get that, go ahead and get that root completely severed and subdue it and become its master so it doesn't ever have a chance of rising back up again. Um, and like I was saying earlier, guys, it's like we allow the enemy to bully and intimidate us so much. And then the word of God says we're his heirs. The devil does not bully and intimidate God because as a matter of fact, as we see in Job, the devil has to ask God for permission to do anything against him. The devil has to come and get the permission from God. So why does he get the chance to intimidate and bully his heirs so much? Why does he have so much authority in our lives that he can intimidate us to the point of quitting? Or he can even intimidate us to the point of 
ruining our day, that he can throw something in our lives in the morning or throw something in, you know, into our thought processes in the morning. And we have to, we will carry that through the rest of the day or through the rest of the week and let that intimidate and bully us the whole time. Because if we're filled with the spirit, then we can be fully working in it and fully walking in it. But if we fill up with more of the world than filling up with more of him, then obviously we can't completely walk in the spirit. And I feel like it's kind of like, I think it's in Genesis 2. I'm not sure what book that it's in where it says, it talks about anger giving a foothold to the enemy. But when we fill up on other things more than we fill up on God, we leave a foothold to the enemy in our doors and in the doors to our lives in all the places in our lives. Because then you have your armor down. And then once you put your armor down and once you have that foothold open, you don't even feel worthy to come to God and ask him to intervene in the situation because you realize, well, I haven't been seeking God anyway. I've been seeking the things of the world. I've been seeking the things, you know, that maybe are important in my life, but he's still supposed to be first and be supreme over those things. It's one of the things that sometimes is hard because we are so busy and we are so caught up in things, but it's still inexcusable. And I know that when we walk in the spirit, like I said earlier, and when we stay in the spirit, the enemy has to say, oh, no, Jesus is right there. So I'm backing up. Even the enemy has to say that's a person who knows their authority. And I know that our pastors have said that so many times that sometimes it's not even about what I'm even really preaching on, this is kind of going against my point, but y'all know what I'm saying. Sometimes it's not even about how much you've been in the word. If you've been, you know, reading it word for word all day, every day, like a text, or if you've been praying, it is just knowing your authority in Christ. And God has been speaking to me about that so much too, but I'm not trying to really go that way because, but that is important because you can also do what I have done so many times in my life and you can be So I've let the enemy get in my head so much, even within ministry, that let's say I was doing the things that I was supposed to do. I was staying close to God, but I was so crippled about insecurities that the enemy had put in my head that I had no authority, even though I was doing what I was supposed to do because I wasn't allowing God to work through me. So I wasn't allowing the authority that he had given me through his spirit to come out of me because I thought, well, you know, I can't do it. I love God. I'm not going to walk away from him. I'm not going to not read his word. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to, you know, not talk to him. But I don't, I definitely can't do anything for him. Like that was kind of my mindset for a long time. And I was completely crippled and, you know, broke legged in my ministry. Um, So it's what we allow the enemy to do, what I'm trying to say, by our own choices. God has given us all the tools that we need. Anything in our lives is things that we kind of allow him to place there. And the other night, um, again, I had kind of already got all this written out and was talking about, I told Braxton a couple of things that I was wanting to preach or that God had given me. And it was funny because we came into prayer and then, we were talking about some of the exact same stuff. And I was like, I love it. That happens like a love confirmation. And so this world is full. And this is something I was even talking to the kids this morning about in, um, in children's church. I said, guys, 
This is the hardest time in the history of the world to live right. This is the time in the history of the world where we're more distracted and we have more going on and we've got more phones in front of our faces and we've got more electronics and we're more distracted than any other people have ever been. And I said, but the world is full of things that are sent to distract us from being focused on God because there is an attack against focus. Me and Courtney were talking about this not long ago about children. And she said something about everybody knows how rambunctious boo-boo is. Like, if you don't know who boo-boo is, that's Jeremiah. I call him boo-boo. I call him that his whole life. That's what I'll call him until he's 25. So everybody knows how rambunctious he is and she was saying something about you were saying like he doesn't like to learn right she was like he doesn't like learning and I said that's not completely his fault and I wasn't just trying to take up for him I'm being serious I said kids don't like to learn because the way that this world is doesn't allow their brains enough focus on one thing for them to be able to learn they are constantly looking every five seconds because we've got shorts and because we've got you know TikToks and because we've got things that don't allow our brains to even focus for more than 15 to 30 seconds without needing another hit of dopamine, without needing another hit of the feel-good hormone to say, whoa, 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 whoa. So everything is shiny and everything takes our attention 24-7, which is exactly the enemy's plan. And it's one of those things that makes me mad and people have been making fun of me because I've been saying that I'm going to have a lot of books for this baby, but I'm not kidding because reading really is fundamental and I don't want to fall into this trap that the enemy is putting this generation of children into and this generation of teenagers into and even the trap that I've let my own mind fall into so much of just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and the just constant reaction to something that we constantly have to have because what I do know is how what does it take to get into deep prayer i know it takes focus i know it takes focus what does it take to get into the word of god and let god begin to start speaking to you and explaining things to you and showing you different things in the spirit and showing you his secrets it takes focus and it takes an attention span and what i see that the enemy has done to an entire generation and god gave me a message about on this when we were at the old church and i preached it and it was one of those messages kind of like this where I was like, God, this is, I was like, this is a weird message. I was like, why do you want me to preach a message about social media to like a, people that are pretty much generally middle aged? I was like, why do you want me to preach this? That's so weird. And, but it was all that he would give me. I couldn't get him to give me anything outside of it. So I kind of studied and I did it, but it was one of those things to where, you know, again, the attack of the enemy against our children and the attack of the enemy against this generation, I believe has just been the media and has been ruining our attention spans. Because if he can get us to watch shorts all day, if he can get us to look into the things that just get a constant reaction and dopamine out of us, then when we try to read the word of God, of course we can't read the word of God. It takes too much focus. It takes too much of an attention span. We're going to have to pick up the phone. If he tries to get us into deep prayer, of course, of course, we're not going to be able to get into deep prayer because all week our mind has been all over the place with all these reactions and looking at all these things. And it's not going, you have to literally read 
reprogram it. That's why the Bible says with the washing of the water or the word, because it washes it and it cleanses it. But we have to, in this generation, say, no, devil, your tricks are not going to work on the remnant. Your tricks are not going to work on the people who know what you're doing. And that's what makes me mad a lot of times, even to myself, when I find myself doing all that stuff and just a scrolling because I'm like, I know this is a trick of the enemy. I'm like, how dumb am I? Like, I know that the enemy wants me in this, doing this all day, so that later on when I try to get into the Word of God or I try to get into prayer, I'm not able to because I can't. And then I saw this, I saw this video, and this is kind of irrelevant, but I saw um, this man talking about about TikTok. And TikTok's not the only thing that has shorts on it. Shorts are everywhere now because they're ruining our attention spans. And so now they've put them on all social media so we can all get our attention spans ruined and get dumber. But he was talking about TikTok kind of starting that trend and that being something that they began. And he was saying what's funny about it is it's all controlled by the Chinese. Like the Chinese are the ones who created it and it's all controlled by them. And he said, but in China, their algorithm that their children see is things that kind of uplift their economy. It's things that kind of are more like industrial and like help their kids to become smarter and become more intelligent. And he said the algorithm that they throw out to the United States he said, it's people doing dance challenges and dance competitions. And I remember like the first year that that crap came out, you, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing like kids looking at their phones and they're all like standing there like dancing in sync. And they're like dancing with it. And we were like, what is this app that like has kids everywhere like just dancing and like doing all these random little things. And then I remember it becoming like, you know, pranks were super big on there and things like that. And now it's just a whole world of whatever. But it was one of those things that I was like, okay, so now the Chinese are releasing this to make their children even smarter and uplift them even more. But then they're putting the algorithms that we see to make us duds and to make our children dumb and to make the people in the United States who watch it complete like just goobs. And I was like, that is so crazy that we like, we know this, like this information is out there and we know it and we're still just like on there dancing with them. And I'm like, what in the world? Like it's, it's, you can tell we're talking about it Friday night. You're like, you can tell that it's something that you get addicted to and that has a stronghold because it's so dumb but you can't stop it. And I've literally thought in my own head, like I said before, like, I know this is dumb, and I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but it's like I can't get my hand to, like, to stop the scrolling. And um, it's one of those things that, you know, rather than allowing God in his word to cleanse us, to be our de-stressor, because at the end of the day, we do that to veg out. We do that to kind of like, you know, come home from work and scroll through these for an hour and like forget where I am. And so instead of letting the word of God do that, we've allowed the enemy's tricks to work on us and the media to be the place where we have our outlet rather than what our outlet is supposed to be being, which is in prayer and in his word. And, you know, sometimes this happens to me and Braxton very, very often. He's a movie person. I'm not a movie person. Um, we'll sit down and he'll be like, all right, let's watch this or whatever. And I'll be like, all right. And he'll turn it on. And there's so much that's so bad. Like I already won't watch. We already don't, I don't watch things that are, are like, even when we were like 
you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, Kelly was like, no R-rated movies. And I kind of just like carried that over into my life anyway, because there's nothing that I really need to be seeing this R-rated. So I still do that and I'm 30. But I think it's just a good thing to, you know, continuously do. But anything on TV now, there's nothing that you can turn on and within, let's, let me say this because I want to be fair. There's hardly nothing that you can turn on and I'm not kidding, within 25 to 30 seconds of it, they've already said one or two not just little little cuss words if we want to categorize our cuss words but big cuss words like stuff that you're like oh that was real bad and then within five minutes of the movie they've already said it's to the like they're saying it and it doesn't even make logical sense like it doesn't even make sense for their vocabulary to be cussing they're just saying it to say it because everything is so filthy and everything is so horrible that you cannot watch anything if it's a children's movie immediately within 30 minutes of the movie, somebody in it is going to be homosexual. It's just, it's what it is now. It's how it all is. And it's one of those things to where I'm like, am I saying that we can't sit down and scroll on the internet? Am I saying that we can't sit down and watch anything that's secular and that we need to be like the, um, whatever they are, like the Mennonites or the Amish? At this point, I don't know. I'm literally getting to the point where I'm thinking, I really don't know. I'm not going to necessarily say, no, that's too far, that's too crazy. Because in 20, if 2023, I don't know if it's too crazy at this point. It might be the best thing to do. It might, they might have something a little bit right, and they might not be that crazy. They may really have something figured out. Obviously, they're too crazy on a lot of it, but things like that, I'm starting to think, it may be a good idea to get the TVs out of the house. It may be a good idea to go back to the Nokia phones that allowed us to text people and call people, and that's all that we could do. Because it's all about what can you control yourself into doing. If you can't control it, then it's a problem that you need to sever. It's a problem that you need to be able to be its master. So either master it or get rid of it. It's kind of the point that I'm, you know, starting to get to. And, you know, I've always been like, well, I don't want to be that person because I never want to get into a religious realm where, you know, it's, it's rules and it's regulations. But it's also like, my gosh, I know that when I stand before God, he's not going to say, you live too good. I know he's not going to say, you in the last days, you know what? You took things way too overboard. You shouldn't, you didn't have to really do all that to please me. That's absolutely not one of what he's going to say because I know that holiness and I know that being sold out to him is his standard of living. I know that he's not going to tell me you did too much. You know, I know that he's not going to say you were too cautious of what you did. You didn't have to live that good because it's not the God that he is. The more time that we give him, the more that he loves it, the more affection that we show him and the more that we put away things that are stupid. And we say that my affections are towards you. My heart is towards you, God, the more he loves that. And, you know, when you really examine yourself and compare yourself to Jesus, not to the person beside you, but to Jesus Christ, you see how short that you come up every time. And that means that we have to continually work on ourselves more and more every day, every moment of every day. I had a conversation with Chip not too long ago after some event that we had. We were in the kitchen for some reason. And somebody came up and said something that kind of sparked something in me. 
about love because I know that that's, you know, when you read Corinthians chapter 13 and you say, man, do I line up with this? There's always somewhere where you don't line up. Even the biggest, most loving person in the world is not going to line up. But, you know, those of us that are a little bit more backwards with our love, which is me, myself, and I, it's so hard to line up in those things because you're just naturally, like I said, not really that type of person. Jay always goes around and he's naturally a hugger and a lover. And I see him hug and go love everybody every single service. And I'm like, oh, well, there, here's Jay doing his, um, doing his hug rounds. And Jay has always come up and hugged me. And today, Courtney happened to be standing there, and Courtney is a hugger. And so Jay was, like, telling Courtney, he was like, every time that I hug Alexis, she gives me these awkward hugs. And Jay's told me that before, like, that I get, like, the awkward, like, dugger side hug. And Courtney said, Jay, she's not a hugger. She said she doesn't. That's not her personality. That's not her, you know, I don't know. I know that there's, like, this book that, like, a lot of married people read and it's, it's called like the five love languages I've always looked through those love languages and I say I don't have one of those like I don't I don't I don't know maybe they need to invent another one for me because in these five I don't find one that I'm like but I, but personal to whatever it's called personal touch or like what is it um the one where people are touchy Physical touch, yeah, that is definitely not mine. Like, and it's not that I don't love you, that's just not who I naturally am, which like at the beginning of this word, I said, if that's who Jesus was, that's who I'm going to have to be. I'm going to have to figure it out because who he was is who I'm going to have to start being in every way because I believe the word of God and I stand on it. So, you know, you know, that's a flaw in my life. But she told Jay, she was like, yeah, that's just not who she is. She's not like that. And he was like, Oh, he's like, after all, like a whole year of this. So anyway, I was back there that day and I was talking to Chip and me and him were talking about love because something sparked it when we were saying that day. And I said, Chip, how do you really love people how Jesus loved them? I said, how do you really love everybody the same and love them equal? I said, to me, that seems like an impossible task. I said, to me, that's hard, and it seems like something I can never truly, truly master. And I don't mean like, I like just love them because you know how we do in church, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. I mean, really love them and love them equally like he did. And I remember Chip was just like, it is. He said, it is hard. And I said, and how do you love people the same as you would love your kids? I said, how do you love somebody else's kid the same as you love your child? I said, that don't even seem human to me that somebody could do that. And it's one of those things that's so funny because I hear people say it all the time. And I hear people say, oh, I love those kids just like I love my kids. And I'm always thinking, like, like you know, like, you hear people say that, and you'll be like, oh, that's so sweet. But on the inside, you're like, no, you don't. You don't love the kids like you love your kids. That's not even possible. But the thing about it is I also started praying, and I started talking to God about it. And I said, God, Lord, you did that, and we're supposed to be like you. So how do you do that? How do you really make that happen? And it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, because you try to figure it out in your own self rather than staying so close to me and being so 
right up next to me that I'm able to do these things through you. The way that we do the things and the way that we master the things that seem impossible that Jesus did is we get so right up close to him and we stand so close to him that his spirit is so, it's almost like he could go right through us and we're just like him. Because the closer that we get to him, the more that we will be like him. That common sense that for some reason we don't seem to grasp is it seems impossible to achieve because we're programmed to look at everything in an earthly manner. When you think about, I can love another child like I love my child. I can love people like I love my family. It almost seems a little bit unloyal to even say, well, I'm going to love these people just like I love my actual family. But the Bible says that it's the people in the body that are that become your family. Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? That's what the Word of God says, that it's those in the house of God. And so the way that, you know, we kind of get programmed in our own minds is so backwards sometimes. Because I tell God, I say, you know... I really do want to be righteous before him. I really do want God to look at me and see righteousness and see his self. I really do want other people to look at me and say, man, that girl acts, she acts like Jesus. When I read about Jesus, I see qualities in him that I see in her. So I think about these things and I'm like, Lord, even though I'm far away from it in so many areas, I want to get there. I want to do it. But the first thing I have to stop trying to figure it out in me every time. I have to stop trying to one, two, three it like I do everything. And I have to just say, if I stand right up next to Jesus all the time, then I have no choice, but then I will to start acting like him. I have no choice, but he's going to start rubbing off on me in everything, in the things that are hard for me that I say, how in the world could I ever possibly really achieve that? I will begin to achieve it because I'm so close to him that I can't help but achieve it. I'm so close to him all the time, but I can't, that I can't help but act just like him because we're so close to one another. And so guys, it's just, if, if we love him, then of course, you know, we want to act right, but we also have to think about loving others. We also have to think about feeding his sheep, just like he told Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And the key is staying in the spirit. The key really is staying in the spirit and spending so much time with him that we literally morph into him and into the things that he is and that he was. My last scripture is Zechariah chapter four, verse six. It says, then he answered and spake to me, saying, this is the word of the Lord into Zerubbabel, saying, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And I love that scripture, too. When I pray, that scripture comes out of my mouth so much all the time. And I say, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. Because everything is by his spirit that we do when we're filled with it. And everything that the enemy tries to throw at you can be completely torn down and destroyed by his spirit. And like I said a second ago, it's not a one to three step program and then we graduate. It's the closer that we are to him, the closer that we are to his spirit, the more that we are like him is when we start to master these things. It's really that kindergarten level and it's really that simple. 
the more victory you'll walk in, the more that the enemy has to run the other way. Because when you're filled with the Spirit of God, when you live the way that you're supposed to, when you love like Him, when you do the things that you're supposed to do, the enemy has no choice but to run because he sees Jesus when he sees you. He sees God when he sees you, and that's where we have to get. And where the last thing I really want to touch on is we have to learn to take God's Word as it is. We have to learn to take God's Word and say, I'm falling short in this area and I've got to fix it. I can't just say, well, I'm doing great in all these other areas, but I'm falling short here because God will allow us to do great in every area. And I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. I'm saying that we have to constantly work to achieve it. And when we're not achieving it, we have to be able to say, I'm not achieving it. I'm not where I'm supposed to be because I don't look just like he does yet. So I'm going to keep working until I do. I'm going to keep standing as close to him until I do. You know, God, you guys, he's been way too good to me for me not to do everything I can to please him. He's changed everything about my life. There's times when I look at you know, certain family members are mine, and I go around them, and I love them so much, but I think, man, like, it, that's not, I'm not like that. Like, nothing about me is like that, and I don't even smell of any of the smoke that they smell of. Like, God has literally changed me drastically and put a whole new spirit in me, and so why do I not push that to the fullest? Because I can, because the only person that's stopping me from doing that is me. The only person that's holding you back when you're filled with his spirit from completely overtaking the enemy, from the enemy having intimidation, from the enemy being able to come at you and ruin your day is you because you have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living inside you. And that means that you have power over the enemy in every area of our lives. So that's what I have, you guys.